this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle or anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on November 5, 2023. It's part of our series called Hunt the Good Stuff, which is a series about developing tools for living a life of gratitude. Let's turn first to our text from Luke chapter 19. I'll be reading from the 2020 revision of the New American Standard Bible. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable due to the crowd, because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him, because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When the people saw this, they began to complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I am giving back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. This is a familiar story from Luke's Gospel for those who have been in the life of the church for some time, especially if they were children. They probably remember singing some song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man, speaking for myself as one who did not go to church as a child. Um, my only point of access to this story is uh, through kind of more of an adult lens. And so when I hear this story, I'm always intrigued about so many of the dynamics that are at work here between Zacchaeus and Jesus, the crowd that's there, even what it was like in Jericho. When we open this passage of scripture in Luke 19, in the first four verses, we read a little bit more about how Zacchaeus is in the margins of the world in which he lives. Now, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry, and he is en route to Jerusalem. So he has traveled from the Galilee down the Jordan River Valley, and uh, that's a route that leads him directly south. And now he's about ready to make a right turn or to begin heading west up into the mountains to ascend to Jerusalem. Jericho is an important waypoint because it's the point where that southern route from the Sea of Galilee coming south intersects the road that goes from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So it's often a place where uh, voyagers and those taking these types of journeys would stop. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. And because of its strategic location along the Jordan River and because of its point of passage between Jordan and Palestine or Israel, 
it became an important place where goods uh, and trade uh, moved through this area from east to west. So Zacchaeus was there, and it says that he's a chief tax collector. Now, this is the only time this term is used in the Gospel of Luke. It refers to tax collectors in other verses, but this is the only time Luke actually names someone as a chief tax collector. And the text tells us that in verse 2, he was rich. Now, we need to contrast this story in Luke's Gospel in Luke 19 to the story that was recorded just before it which is the story of the blind beggar. And both of these stories, the story of the the beggar who is blind and Zacchaeus, are in many ways parallel stories, but at opposite ends of the spectrum. Of course, the blind beggar being on one end of the margin, and then at the far other end of maybe even a completely different margin is Zacchaeus, who is rich. Now, why is he rich? Well, he's rich because of Jericho's strategic location. So much of uh, what was passing through the region in terms of goods and trade moved through the city of Jericho. So to be the chief tax collector in Jericho was a lucrative position. And he owned probably a tax lease there. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Now, as Jesus begins to enter the city of Jerusalem, he's not able to see him as he begins to arrive. Uh, And the text tells us why. Number one, he was short. And number two, no one would possibly give him access. We learn later in the passage of scripture that there's a tremendous amount of uh, enmity between the people living in Jericho and Zacchaeus himself. He was an outcast as a rich person. And so uh, he was considered an outcast for a variety of reasons. Number one, he dealt uh, in Roman currency Uh, For observant Jews, Roman currency made one ritually unclean because Roman currency or the coin had uh, the image of the emperor on it. So they considered it to be a form of idolatry. Zacchaeus, as I mentioned a moment ago, probably owned a tax lease. And what that meant is that he purchased from the Roman government an amount of tax that needed to be collected uh, through that region. And so he would basically pay himself for the taxes that the Romans wanted to collect. So think of it this way. He paid the Romans for all of the taxes for the region. Then Zacchaeus, with the full force of the Roman government, then has to go about collecting or reimbursing himself for the tax that he's actually paid. So that's what a tax lease is. He's basically paid the tax already to the Romans. Now, with the power of the Roman authorities behind him, he has to collect that tax. So he's probably not doing that alone. He's likely employed other individuals who are part of this collection scheme and all of those people, including himself, have to be paid. And often what would happen for tax collectors or especially those like Zacchaeus who owned a tax lease is once the tax was paid for the Romans, the Romans really didn't care at that point because they had their money. So Zacchaeus and these other tax collectors would employ Roman force to collect every tax what they wanted didn't have to correlate to what they had paid the Romans already. They could collect whatever amount they wanted. So tax collectors would collect more than the taxes that were due so that uh, they exploited people in this way. And this is what makes Zacchaeus on the margins here is that 
is that everybody knows him to be a person who extorts and and takes money from people in the city of Jericho that is well beyond any of the tax they normally would have had to pay to the Romans. So Zacchaeus is on the margins. He's excluded. And so what he does, because of his stature and because of the disregard that the citizens of Jericho have for him, he finds a sycamore tree and climbs up that tree in order to see Jesus as he enters the city. These sycamore trees are common in the Jordan River Valley. If you were to visit Jericho today, you would find some of these trees there. Of course, uh, they'll tell you in Jericho that this is the very tree that Zacchaeus climbed up. Unlikely that a sycamore tree lives for 2,000 years. So it's not likely this is the actual tree. But there are trees there that give you a good example of what it is like to climb up into those branches and to be able to see over the crowds of people that were there. Now, take note of his action here, though. Uh, Don't worry so much about the kind of tree it was. Just the fact that he climbed a tree was undignified. Now, there's some things to recognize about this, that men in the ancient world, especially in Jesus's world, were really not allowed to expose their legs in public. And not in a way that especially people could see under their tunic. Remember, men and women wore similar garments. They're not wearing, men are not wearing pants. They're wearing a a tunic or a a garment that goes over their body that does not have legs to it. So to expose one's legs in public or to uh, be in a position where people could see up your tunic was considered to be incredibly inappropriate. Uh, You can draw some parallels to this, by the way, with the parable of the prodigal son, uh, that when the prodigal returns home, his father runs to him along the road. This is inappropriate for the father because he exposes his legs while he's likely running to find and embrace his long-lost young son who has come home. So these cultural cues are important as we think about this story. Zacchaeus taking the steps he's taken to climb up a tree, which is inappropriate for him to do, they signify in many ways his desperation and his devotion to connect with Jesus. He goes to any lengths possible to see Jesus. Now, the final thing about Zacchaeus that we need to say is when we talk about him on the margins is that his name literally means righteous. Now, that likely had no meaning to Luke's readers, but it is important for us to note that there's a sense here in which Zacchaeus actually is demonstrating the fruit of righteousness as he responds to Jesus coming into Jericho. That opens a key passageway for us. That devotion and authenticity always overcome stigma and judgment. These early verses about Zacchaeus highlight the links he'll go to in order to view Jesus. We understand his marginalization and why that happens to him, but we also see that Zacchaeus defies it. He's he's even somewhat undignified in doing so. So we have to see this carefully. You know, our embrace of Jesus, even today, is not casual or passing or recreational, or even situational. The way in which we embrace Jesus has to be very much like Zacchaeus. It has to have an energy to it of of desperation, of devotion, as if everything depends on it. Why? Because it does. 
we now turn into the heart of the story in verses 5 to 8. Here we find Jesus seeing him in the tree, and he speaks to Zacchaeus and tells him, Hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, of all the people there, Jesus singles him out. How does he know Zacchaeus' name? Uh, We don't know. The story doesn't tell us that. Perhaps some divine knowledge or some other reason. We don't know. But this calling of Jesus is a clear invitation for Zacchaeus to respond. And Luke says that he did exactly that. He hurried and came down in the same way that Jesus invited him. The same words. So the way Jesus invites him, hurry and come down, in verse 5 is the exact same way Luke writes it in verse 6. He hurried and came down. See, this... This is uh, important in the text because it's demonstrating that Zacchaeus is completely obedient to what Jesus has told them to do. And it says when he comes down that Zacchaeus received him with joy. Now, for this to happen, there's got to be a moment which Zacchaeus experiences being treated differently than he's ever been treated before. Jesus sees him and recognizes him and calls him out in a positive way. This is something that Zacchaeus hasn't experienced in years. And we know that the crowd is not pleased with this, that they are not happy at all, because it tells us down in verse 7 that when the people saw this, they all began to complain. Jesus could have gone anywhere in the city of Jericho, but he goes to the worst possible place in the opinion of all the citizens of Jericho. He's gone to Zacchaeus' house. Remember, Zacchaeus is a sinner. He is one who is lost. He's lost. Why? He's lost because people have written him off. What makes him lost is not his spiritual state. What makes him lost is how he is being treated by the community. So Zacchaeus doesn't respond to this community all when they're complaining about him. He says nothing to them. So this is nothing new to him. He's heard this before. But what Zacchaeus does in response is he speaks to Jesus, it tells us, as we move into verse 8. He said, half of my possessions I'm giving to the poor. So he's going to take half of the money he has and he's just going to give it away. This isn't about any kind of ritualized compensation. This isn't about any kind of um, normal kind of code or law saying he would need to do this. He just simply does this out of generosity. And you need to hold the story of Zacchaeus in contrast to another story in Luke's gospel, which is the story of the rich young ruler who questions Jesus about what he must do to receive eternal life. Jesus ultimately tells him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the rich young ruler could not do so. He walked away from Jesus. So in this sense, Zacchaeus is doing the very thing the rich ruler could not do. And then he goes on to say even more so. He's going to give away half of his possessions to the poor. And then he says, anything that I've extorted from people, in other words, when he's taken more from them when collecting taxes than he should have, he says he's going to pay those people back four times as much. So that's a 400% return to those people. Now, usually, according to the biblical code of Zacchaeus' day, that would only would have been 20%. So if you had extorted money, you would pay it back plus 20%. Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. 
Now, there are some occasions in the biblical uh, history where we know people sometimes paid double in restitution, but Zacchaeus is extravagant. He is four times as much. He goes above and beyond any standard that was known in the ancient world. And this is a fruit of repentance for him. Take note here that, that his conversion is not just about his heart. His heart is already in the right place from the beginning of the story. He's hungry and seeking Jesus. His conversion at this point now begins to trickle into the rest of his life. It begins to saturate the rest of who he is. His repentance and his conversion is social, it's economic, it's personal. All of it's an expression of gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. He's included. He's invited now. And this opens up a key passageway to us. That our response to Jesus should be framed with repentance and gratitude, just like Zacchaeus. You know, this short passage helps us understand or to better understand our posture as disciples, that we, we really can't cling to anything else as followers of Jesus. We, we can't cling to entitlement or privilege or position or legacy. Zacchaeus does the very thing that the rich young man could not do earlier in Luke's gospel. So what we learn in this story is something very important, that repentance is not just a state of the heart. It's not just about remorse or regret. Zacchaeus's repentance happens in a change of behavior, and it's that change in behavior, that kind of repentance, that is the first evidence of a real conversion. Now, after Zacchaeus has this extravagant response to Jesus' presence and call, we read in verses 9 and 10 how Jesus now responds to that. Jesus offers his perspective on what has happened. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And that word today is important because you read it back up in verse 5 when he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house. And then he says, today, salvation has come to this house. The events of the day and Zacchaeus's response are the fruitfulness of that day. It is salvation offered and given. And the pronouncement of salvation is a powerful one. You see, he's no longer an outsider. He's no longer on the margins. He's now included by the radical love of God. And so in this sense, the the blind beggar story that just preceded this and Zacchaeus are very much the same. It's about those who had been excluded, those at the edges, those who thought they had no hope, no possibility, finding that they have exactly that. And Jesus goes on to tell us why. He says that that salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham. This is an affirmation of what makes anyone an offspring of Abraham. Jesus in in Luke's gospel is making a very kind of subtle and important argument here that what makes you a child of Abraham is not biological birth. His faith acting in repentance is what makes him an offspring of Abraham. Jesus is beginning to redefine 
what it means to be in this community of faith, so much so that the Apostle Paul picks up this message so clearly in the book of Romans in the first four chapters when he talks about what it is that makes one a child of Abraham. It is not biology only. It has to do with spiritual uh, childhood. Are we children of Abraham by faith? This is an announcement for Zacchaeus of restoration, of community, of no longer being an outsider. He's now one of them. In other words, one of the children of Abraham. And now at the end of this passage of scripture, verse 10, we hear the clearest definition of his mission, of Jesus's mission. And he says, it is to seek and to save the lost. Now, I find that um, there's a lot made about lost people. And oftentimes we think of lost people as those who are uh, unsaved, uh, those who don't know Jesus. Keep in mind as you read this story, though, that Zacchaeus was not lost from Jesus or lost from God. What he was was lost from his own people. He was even in some ways lost from himself. So this takes us back to the blind beggar and now Zacchaeus. Both were lost. Notice what lost means. Lost means that they were cast out. They weren't part of the community. They were abandoned. And this is important. We have to pay attention that in Luke's gospel, the term lost only occurs four times. And if you do a careful study of what it means to be lost in Luke's gospel, Every single time it uses the word lost in reference to people, every single one of those people were excluded. They were at the margins. They were cast out of their own community. So it's not so much that they were lost to God as much as they were lost to their own people. And this is a key passageway for us to hear, that the work of Jesus is to seek and to save this is Jesus's work to do, and it has many different dimensions to it. To distill it only to the forgiveness of sins, I think misses some of the other nuances of what it means to be lost and to be found. It's that, yes, it's the forgiveness of sins, but it's so much more. It's healing, it's community, it's wholeness, it's love. This is not a Jesus that makes pronouncements about the kingdom of God and then sits idly by while he waits for us. He's active. I love Luke 19, verse 10. He is seeking and saving. This is Jesus's mission. We share in it too because we were also sought and we were also saved. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, revcraig.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a button that says News. Click on that and go down to Podcast on the drop-down menu and then click on this week's episode and leave a comment. I'd also encourage you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.